Hi, welcome to the Freehoff Institute of Progressive Halakha. I'm Rabbi Mark Wachowski with the 12-minute shiur number 51. It's called Brachot. Is it okay to change the text? We're working from a source sheet that you can download at our website, www.freehoffinstitute.org slash podcast. Now, at first glance, the question we're posing here comes way too late. All the non-Orthodox movements have already answered yes. We have changed the language of the brachot, the benedictions in our liturgy. For one thing, we've all added the names of the imahot, the matriarchs, to the first bracha of the tefillah. Some of us, and this goes back to the 19th century, have changed the language of other brachot that we find problematic, like the second bracha of the tefillah, which traditionally ends with the words, Some of us have removed that reference to physical resurrection. And some of us, objecting to the masculine gender of the traditional Hebrew, God is he, God is king, and all that, some of us have created new brachot language that's more egalitarian or even feminine. So, we've made our decision. The question here, though, is whether in doing so we have violated the halakha, or, on the other hand, whether and to what extent the halakha supports our efforts to create a liturgy that better reflects our ideas and values. So we begin with two statements that seem to stand in our way, that give the clear impression that we are not to tamper in any way with the traditional wording. The first of these is Rambam's Mishneh Torah, Hilchot Brachot, chapter 1, Halacha 5. It starts on line 3 of the source sheet. V'nusach kol habrachot Ezra uveit dino tiknum. Ezra and his Beit Din enacted the text for all the brachot. Now, we can't guarantee that this is accurate history, but it does testify that in the eyes of the tradition, the brachot have an ancient and prestigious pedigree. Therefore, the ein ra'ui lishnotam, the Rambam says, v'lo lohosif alachat mehem, v'lo ligroa mimena. It is not proper to alter them, to add to them, or to detract from them. The second statement is from Talmud Brachot, Da 40b, beginning on line 12. Ra'a pat va'amar, kama na'a pat zo baruch hamakom yatsa. One who says over bread, how wonderful is this bread, praise be the omnipresent, or however you would translate hamakom, who created it, fulfills one's obligation. One who says over a fig, how wonderful is this fig? Praise be the omnipresent who created it, fulfills one's obligation. Divrei Rabbi Meir. These are the words of Rabbi Meir. But Rabbi Yossi says, Kol lo yatsa One who alters the matbeah, the form of the bracha that was set by the sages, does not fulfill their obligation. Now, that word matbeah, which also means coin, suggests something stamped or pressed, that is, rigid, fixed. And since the halacha usually follows Rabbi Yossi when he's in a machloket or a dispute with Rabbi Meir, this is certainly not a promising start for those who want to introduce changes into the language of the brachot. But let's read on in brachot 40b. We're now on line 21. Binyamin ra'iyah karach rifta. Binyamin the shepherd ate some bread. 
He actually made a karich, a kind of sandwich. And he said in Aramaic, this is important, Barich mare de haipita, praised be the creator of this bread. Now, Rav, a third century Babylonian Amora, says, Yatsa, he fulfilled his obligation, which we'll see means the obligation to say Birkat Amazon at the conclusion of a meal. Now, the Gemara, the Stam or anonymous voice of the Talmud, takes issue with Rav's decision. First, Rav seems to contradict here a ruling he made elsewhere that, and we're on line 22, Kol bracha she'en ba haskarat Hashem ena bracha. Line 31, any bracha that does not contain the name of God is not a bracha at all. So we must amend the original text, says the Talmud. What Benjamin really said was, Barich Rahmana mare pita. Praise be Rahmana, the merciful one, creator of this bread, thus including one of God's names in the bracha. Then, because we know that Birkat Hamazon consists of three brachot, in lines 23 and lines 33 and 34, the Talmud makes sure we know that Binyamin's bracha serves for only the first bracha, Hazan Takol. The rest of the passage answers the question, my kamash malan, what is Rav coming to tell us here? Meaning, what's so special about, about all this? Isn't it obvious that Binyamin's bracha is acceptable? And the answer is that without Rav's decision, we might have thought that brachot recited in vernacular languages like Aramaic have to be precise translations of the Hebrew. So Rav tells us that this is not the case. The translation need not be precise. So this suggests that there's some give in the rules about sticking to the traditional text of the brachot. And that's exactly what we find in Rambam as he translates these passages into codified halacha. Now let's begin with his Hilchot Brachot, chapter 1, Halachot 5 and 6. In Halacha 5, we're in line 48, and as we've already seen, he writes, It is not proper to alter the received text of the Brachot. But note now, he does not say that it is asur, it is forbidden to do so, or that this altered text is not a valid bracha. And then on line 49, the text in bold font, V'chol chachamim bivrachot eno ela to'eh. And line 53, one who alters the form, the matbeah of the bracha that was set by the sages, commits an error. You'll recognize this as the ruling of Rabbi Yossi in the Talmud, back up there in lines 13 and 18 with one crucial difference. Rabbi Yossi says that one who alters the matbeh of the bracha that was set by the sages, lo yatsa yedei chovato, does not fulfill their obligation. And, and since the halacha is supposed to follow Rabbi Yossi, why does Rambam depart in his Mishnah Torah from Rabbi Yossi's words in the Talmud? And now halacha 6, line 58, Rambam writes, v'im shina et hamatbeah, and line 62, if one alters the form, the matbeah of the bracha, even when reciting it in another language, one still fulfills the obligation so long as the bracha mentions a divine name and God's sovereignty and adheres to the content of the bracha, as with the bracha that Benjamin the shepherd recited over his sandwich. But wait a minute, didn't Rabbi Yossi say that when you alter the matbeah, you do not fulfill your obligation? 
So what's going on here? Well, this is what Rabbi Yosef Karo comes to explain in his Kesef Mishneh commentary to the Mishneh Torah, beginning on line 67. Now, we don't have time to read through it in detail, but here's the gist. According to Karo, Rambam is talking about two different kinds of shinui, of change in the text of the brachot. The first, Hayechad, lines 71 and 82, is, if one recites the text of the bracha as the sages enacted it, but then adds to it or detracts from it, or if one recites a text, ke'en nusach shetitnu chachamim, that resembles the sages' text, but renders it in different words which nonetheless hint at the text composed by the sages. In this case, because the text of your new bracha captures the kavanah, the intention or the sense of the original text, you fulfill your obligation when you recite it, even though Rambam himself says that in principle, ain ra'ui, it's not proper to alter the text. Okay, now, hashinui hasheni, the second change, lines 74 and 87. That's when your new bracha does not capture the kavanah, the intent or sense of the sage's original text. In that case, your bracha does not fulfill your obligation. Okay, but what about that pesky word matbeah? Are we allowed to change it or not? Well, let's look at lines 94 and 100. When we say that it is forbidden to change the matbeah of a bracha, we mean its structure and not its wording. For example, some brachot are called matbea aroch, long form, which means they're composed as paragraphs that both begin and end with the formula baruch atah Adonai, while other brachot, called matbea katsar, or short form, are composed as a single sentence, one baruch atah statement. Now, you're not supposed to switch one matbea for the other, you're not supposed to switch a bracha that should be long form into a short form version and vice versa. Okay? If you do that, if you make that switch, your bracha does not fulfill your obligation. But when Rambam says back in lines 58 and 62 that if one alters the matbeah of the bracha, one does fulfill the obligation, well, there he's talking about changing the wording of the bracha, not its structure, its wording. And that bracha is acceptable. One is yotze if one recites it, so long as the bracha captures the intention of the original text. So, there you have it. An argument based on the words of Rambam that the halacha empowers us to change the wording of the traditional brachot to render them in language we find more suitable. Of course, Rambam himself said, Ein ra'ui, it isn't proper to do that. But we can respond reasonably that, with all due respect to him, the world has changed quite a lot in the last eight or nine hundred years, so that today it is arguably proper that the language of our liturgy should change along with it. Now, we should note that there is a lot more detail to this halakha than we can cover in twelve or so minutes, and, and we should also note that this argument does not tell us whether or when we should change the text of the brachot. That's a different argument, one of policy rather than halachic principle. It requires that we weigh the benefits of changing the text 
versus the price we're going to pay when we alter a form of liturgy that even if it doesn't go all the way back to Ezra, is still one of great antiquity and ubiquity, meaning that it is shared by Jews everywhere and unites us as a religious community. Experience shows that when we pursue this argument, sometimes we'll decide for change and sometimes we'll stand with the tradition. Either way, it is a perfectly legitimate argument to have. So this has been the 12-minute shiur from the Freehoff Institute of Progressive Halakha. Thanks for learning with us. Lehitraot.